You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Welcome, Teak Nation Podcast Nation. I think that's the proper way to put it, right? Would you agree, Donnie? Teak Nation Podcast Nation. Because not everyone Teak Nation is a part of the Teak Nation Podcast Nation. I don't think that you're supposed to say nation within three words like that. All right, I'll work on it. Anyway, it is Monday, May 31st, Memorial Day. This is an evening recording of the Teak Nation Podcast, a very special treat for all of you listeners out there. Know it affects your lives. Looking out at a beautiful Indiana sunset. A lot of people just think this is flyover country, but uh, we, we produce some pretty killer sunsets here in the heartland. Um, happy Memorial Day, Donnie. What'd you do today? Uh, it was a, it was a nice day. Spent the day with the family and enjoyed a little bit of time outdoors. It was a nice 75 degree day here in here in God's country, as you said. So lovely. I am sitting here now at my desk and we have three and a half hours left in the fiscal year here on the East coast. Count it down. You got the ball ready to drop there at the offices yeah. of the Grand Chapter? I am literally the only one in the building, but uh, I, I guess I could just drop a ball and have my own party, some fireworks out here. I know you'd appreciate it out in the, the parking lot here if I threw up some bottle rockets on the Alex J. Swinson Memorial Basketball Court. Well, it's the, it's the Brian Keller and Michael Beals Basketball Court. They're the ones who supplied the uh the means that were necessary to to make that happen but i was responsible for christening it and dedicating it and just making it rain out there in general uh i've been on fire lately i, I don't know if there's i don't know if we could do a video version of the Teak nation podcast where we could bring our listeners into uh one of our one of our 4 p.m 2v2 teak staff basketball competitions outside but I think it'd be really eye-opening. I pr- I don't I don't sound athletic. I don't sound like I'm a good basketball shooter. But you'd be mistaken if you were going based off the sound of my voice. Well, that's think about whatever part of the country that right. If you go to Texas, there's probably people who don't look like they're good at football that are really really good at football. Same type of thing here. So there are many many people in this state that you look at and say, "There's no way that guy can shoot a basketball." You're pretty much born with it around here. Conversely, there are a lot of people from other states that you look at and think that guy must be pretty good at basketball. That is not the case. We we we've know that into, firsthand. We've run into quite a few <laughs> folks who are not basketball talented, but are athletically, physically fit. You see him warming up. You see him bouncing around. You think, oh man, this guy, this guy's got some skills. And then you throw a basketball in his hand, and it's like he's trying to shoot with two left feet. Well, let's keep it moving here. I'm sure folks tuned in for basketball talk in Indiana sunsets. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, I mean, uh, any anything else good Memorial Day wise? You could have any have a have a nice meal with your family. I mean, this is a uh, well. First and foremost, we should not forget the the actual purpose of Memorial Day, which is very important. I know both of us have some very near and dear members of our family who are military and uh, fortunately did not pass away in the line of duty, but. Um, it is important to recognize those, especially the frauders, many teaks out there who fought and, and died in the United States military who fought and are still with us. So uh, certainly appreciate the service and want to make sure we honor and respect them. But we also know that Memorial Day is a time to get together and celebrate with friends and family. And that's what a lot of people utilize it for as well. Yeah, we we take for granted how lucky we are to live 
in this country and the folks that every day around the world protect our freedom. And unfortunately, some of those folks that never make it home and, and the families that live with with that hole in their in their family for the rest of their lives. So all we can all we can do is humbly say thank you. Yeah, that is a that's a serious angle for the TK Nation podcast. You don't get that out of us very often, but happy to oblige. Uh, one other one other big Memorial Day tradition, if you will, are our Memorial Day sales. Of course, if we're going to turn the corner back to the uh, the lighter tone, I impulse bought a uh, television today that was on sale. Uh, got to Walmart to pick it up. Do buy my TVs from Walmart. Um, got to Walmart to pick it up. Found out it would not fit in the back of the car. With the, uh, with the back seats up. The problem is that there were two car seats in the back seat. So those weren't coming down. So fortunately, Walmart's only about 10 minutes from my house. Drove home, unloaded the car seats, threw them in the front yard, back in the car, back to Walmart, picked up the TV. It was on a, it was, it's a 2020 version, so it was on closeout. So they were uh, looking to get them off the shelves and they found the right guy to, uh, to take one home. So for, fortunately, uh, nobody listens to this podcast. Otherwise... You know, it'd be all over Facebook Wednesday night, Thursday morning on the Talk Cap Epsilon page that Teak staff get paid enough to buy new TVs on Memorial Day. And, and then our whole whole model would just come crumbling down. Pete Leland would throw it up on the Teak Volunteers page, some big long paragraph. Someone would ask him what he's doing. He'd say, oh, I'm just trying to promote discussion. That's about how it would play out if, if there were more listeners. I say this many times. People would be shocked if they knew what the professional staffers make. And a perfect example of that are the folks that we have worked, especially recently, to try to hire. And when you tell them that the starting salary is, uh, let's say, in the high 30s, all of a sudden their interest starts to wane, unfortunately. So we have, true. we have a tremendous group of people. And I know we're, we're doing a lot of serious, or at least I'm doing a lot of serious talk, but it is serious. We have a, a lot of folks who really work hard. And this being the last day of the year, we're so grateful that they sacrifice other opportunities they have where they could make far more to serve our membership. And I'm grateful for that as well. It's a day of being grateful. Well, fortunately for the, the longtime listeners of the program, they know that I have many alternative income sources, Dogecoin, uh, AMC, which uh, got up to $25 last week. So doing well there. Um, sports gambling, always a favorite. I think that's a good point to transition into the Indianapolis 500 because I did put a little little money on old Helio Castroneves to bring home number See, four. This and, is what purchased the television. He did. This and is now, what and now television. brand new television. I am living large, just like uh, yeah, just like the Waltons, the Bezoses. What, the kind, of odds, what kind of I'm odds? I'm not divorced. What kind of odds did you get on Helio? Uh, I think he was plus 2,800. Wow. So we threw a threw a fiver down, paid out 145. Did not cover the full cost of the television, but it helped. Every little bit helps. You know what they say. It was a heck of a race. I hope the listeners of this program took our advice and at least tuned in for a little bit of it. Because even though I wasn't there in person, you weren't there in person, you could still feel the electricity, the enthusiasm, the energy, uh, turn the sound bar on, which I don't do often enough because I forget I have it. So you have a sound bar too. Um, essentially just a home theater. Turn the sound bar on, cranked it up to get the phone. That's pretty good, wasn't it? Um, Guys are going to want to go back, hit that back 15 seconds button, turn your car radio all the way up. You are you are in rare form. You are in rare form this Memorial Day. It's nighttime. We should do more nighttime Teak Nation podcasts. 
You're in rare form. Three-day anyway, weekend, just, just wearing off the end of the weekend here. Three-day weekend, been on PTO for two and a half months, trying to use up all my days at the end of the fiscal year. It's good. It's good. Um, no, I enjoyed the Indy 500. It was a great race. We had a, uh, what, I think the second to last lap pass for the lead, which you don't get often. A lot of times the race ends up, I don't want to say it ends up being a snoozer, especially if you're there, but it is the, the flat nature of Indianapolis Motor Speedway does not promote a ton of passing a little more so in the Indy cars it is that is a boring race with the NASCARs if you really want to get into the motorsports the technicalities of it but um yeah it was it was cool to see see Helio take home number four join that rare group going to be looking to be the first to get number five I assume he's got a few more 500s in him moving forward I always feel bad for Ed Carpenter I would really like to see Ed Carpenter win an Indianapolis 500 and I just don't know if it's going to happen for him well it might be like Tony Kanaan where it happens later in his career but yes he has some amazingly bad luck and the thing that outsiders should have enjoyed about the race was just how quick it was because there were only two cautions oh yeah that was a quick race and obviously when they're going 220 miles an hour right they can turn those laps pretty quick and when when we just had just a couple of cautions and one of them was a longer caution only because they couldn't get the cars lined up uh lucky to have some friends who actually worked the race and and saw one of them today and said yeah they, they wasted five or six laps just trying to get race control kept saying they couldn't get the guys back in in the right line and when you're going at that clip you can't say oh you know they're close enough let's just yeah let's that's just right take off and go so but a great race yeah, and, and made history first person it really in our generation to see a, a four-time winner it's been a long 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 time since the days of rick mears and alan sir senior and aj foyt yeah i know uh I, i've only been going to the race for six or seven else oh, 20 2014 was my first indy 500 in person but i remember um i remember helio winning his first it was shortly after i moved to indiana when i was a child and had just become really aware of the indy 500 and the magnitude of it and remember seeing him win number one and then uh and then tune out a little bit here and there but he's uh he's one of the legends of the track now uh to your point about it being a quick race was good because it was an electric day for sports yesterday i shouldn't say shouldn't say electric because most of the sports that uh, I think I mentioned this to you in a, a text message, most of the sports that were on are sports that many people would consider to be on the boring side of the spectrum, but you had IndyCar racing, you had uh, soccer on yesterday, you had a big soccer match on Saturday as well, the Champions League final, shout out to American soccer phenom Christian Pulisic on bringing home the trophy there. You had a really fantastic final round of golf yesterday at the Colonial, NBA playoffs, MLB going on. It was a good day to just sit, throw the television on. I wish I'd have had the new one at that point. Unfortunately, I was still still working with the old TV, but um, it's a good good sports day, good weekend fun times all around. I agree. What What's the difference between the old TV and the new TV? Are we talking? New the TV's same bigger. Stuff? New TV's okay. bigger. How much bigger? New TV, so, so the new TV isn't going to be broken out until the, man, I shouldn't say this. I'm really, really going down a path here of no return. New TV is not going to go in until we get into the new house, which will be in uh, August-ish timeline, mid to late August. So going to sit idle in my uh in my living room with the little storage space we have which is why we need a new house because we don't have anywhere to put a tv for six months um four months whatever it is but yeah that was uh that was uh i know i'm gonna want one when we move i'm gonna have zero dollars in my bank account once we put the down payment on the new house so i might as well enjoy the time when i still have a little bit of money make this purchase 
So it, it'll be a slow burn, but I'll appreciate but that. I think that the upside for the fraternity and the listeners out there is because you are purchasing a new house and a purchase a new television, to your point, you're going to be tied into this place, grinding it out, working your tail off. Hey, to make sure you yeah. can afford this house. No and more, you can no afford- more, uh, no more, uh, no more initiate years like we just had. Can't afford it. Cannot afford Can't it. Can't handle it. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going to be a big, big six months, but looking forward to it. Pretty excited. Uh, get, I was going to say something else about the, uh, about the new house. Oh no, it was, uh, you asked me the difference. Yes. The new TV is, is quite a bit bigger than the current television. So new TV is going to go in the new living room. Uh, TV in my living room currently is going to go in my loft. TV that I currently have in the loft is going to go in our bedroom. TV we have in our bedroom is going to go in the kid's room. Does that all make sense? You mean map it out, draw a flow chart? Let's move on. All right, let's move on. It is the end of the Teak fiscal year, as we have mentioned. So I wanted to uh, wanted to hit on a rule of three. I think we've done a, a version of this with COVID, but the rule of three I wanted to hit on, what are three takeaways, three big takeaways that you will pull when you think back in the 2020-2021 Teak fiscal year? Three lessons, three, uh, three goals that you hit, I, I, whatever the three big sticking points of this last 365 days of our work life. Yeah. One, I will get super technical, the first one. And that is something that a number of mentors shared with me when the pandemic began. And they were absolutely correct. And that is cash is king. And many times when you think about finances, and and obviously we don't talk too deeply, at least over the public airwaves, uh, about the business of the fraternity because everyone is focused on the actual experience of the fraternity. But the aspect of ensuring that the organization continue forward cash was extremely important and having that having that resource so that we could pay the bills and also ensure that the organization could survive on we could provide services and really be in a position taking off now for tomorrow June 1 into a new year the fraternity would be fiscally sound and so I learned more than ever how important having that liquidity is in the organization uh, in ensuring its financial health. And that that lesson really, again, that transfers over to your personal life, that transfers over to chapters and how they run their operations. I'm sure they had saw the same phenomenon. And and if you're running your own business or going to be an entrepreneur, then, then obviously it has the same impact. Two, I will say, really learn the lesson of how important it is to communicate and to leverage relationships. You know, we had so many folks who stepped up, whether it was volunteering uh, leaders in our chapters who helped to keep guys interested, who did a great job on retention. If you recall, uh, Alex, we were going through the summer and into this fall and, and people thought, you know, people wouldn't even want to stay and be part of an organization because they couldn't have the social events because they couldn't get together, but they did and they sacrificed and they they made the fraternity a priority. And it was a lot of those leaders and, and volunteers and the communication that we had back and forth that, that I, I think impacted in, in a very positive way, the organization moving forward. The last piece, and I don't, I don't want to end on a downer, but it's just more of a reality check for everyone. You mentioned we can't have another initiate year. Every organization struggled in terms of membership, fraternities, and sororities in this year. But it just shows how fragile the organization is. Many times we like to puff our chest out, all of us, about how strong the fraternity is and, and all the success it's had and the decades of sustained excellence. And that can that can be taken away really, really quickly with just a couple of years where we do not bring in men at, at, the, at our normal rate. And all of the consequences of that from the financial to the staffing ability to the resources we can provide to you know the impact we can have on our groups there on the ground, it, it all 
ties together. And so to see how fragile the organization can be and the, the line between dominance and excellence and the in between being very, very challenged is not is not that great. And so in some ways that that can uh, add some perspective. In another way, it inspires me because I know that we're not too far away from crushing it in this coming year, crushing it the second year after that, right? And we're right back, we're rolling and able to really get off and see where can we expand and, and take off and grow. So it uh, those relationships, especially as I, as I mentioned, and, and just just seeing how important the fraternity is to folks. I think this was a real year to, to find that. A lot of people say they love the fraternity. And this past year was where a number of folks showed it in one way or another. Well, they, they either showed it or they exposed themselves to be a bit of a fraud. So there were, there were two different ways to, uh, to take that. Nodding your head. All right. I so so uh, we don't have any direct overlaps, but I think a lot of what I wrote down, and it's not surprising, ties in with what you said. One for me was the importance, and this is I'm not just saying this because we're we're on the final day here of, of Mental Health Awareness Month, but the importance of mental well-being, um, the importance of mental toughness, mental strength. Sometimes mental toughness means asking for help or understanding when you're not okay and you need to take a break. But uh, but just the overall the overall awareness, being cognizant of of how you feel and how you're thinking. This year it took a, a huge mental toll on a lot of our employees. On I know both of us at different points throughout the course of the year. A lot of our members, a lot of our volunteers, a lot of our our university partners, everyone we worked with had a different you know, a different take on COVID and, and how it affected them and their day-to-day lives. But, uh, but the importance of finding outlets to, to maintain your mental well-being, I think, uh, for me is one of the mo- most important takeaways. Number two, um, I, it ties in, all three of them really tie in together. But number two for me is the difference in how stress and anxiety and the unknown affect people differently. How each of those things, some people, it, it's fight or, fight or flight in a lot of cases. Some people want to take it head on and, and hit it, right? You get stressed. You you have uh, something coming out in front of you. You don't know what something what's going to happen. You want to punch it in the mouth. You want to take it on. You want to be aggressive with it. Some people have that that flight reaction, which is natural. I don't think there's anything psychologically that, that can be done about it unless you can train yourself to overcome it. But um, but just how the the stress and the unknown of the last year, every single person we've talked to, I think, has has felt differently about it and responded differently. And, and it brings in the importance, this is maybe a 2A and a 2B, of having empathy and being able to work with people who aren't on the same plane as you, whether they're well above you in terms of their, their uh, ability to handle stress or well below you, but the ability to work that spectrum and, and be able to be empathetic and understand that not everyone's responding the same way to these challenges as you are. And then the last piece for me, which is I think more of a positive is, is really the value of creativity and the, the drive and wherewithal to just relentlessly pursue better solutions because that that's my number one. So I saved it for last. My number one takeaway from this last year, it's not the negative. It's those those handful of chapters, 10, 15, 20, I could probably rattle off. Uh, it's not many more than that, unfortunately, but those 
groups who said, we're going to figure this out. We're going to recruit even better than we did last year. We're going to raise even more money for St. Jude than we did last year. Our brotherhood's going to be stronger. Our recruitment events are going to be more electric. Like those are the groups that are going to stick with me and to, you know, shout out specifically groups like LSU and Auburn and Virginia Tech and Iowa State and USC and, and University of Wisconsin and, and Penn State. Those are some of the ones that come to mind. I'm sure there are others out there, but those groups that really took this head on and, and looked at a challenge and said, we can overcome this because how many times, how many times in the last 365 days did you hear some version of we can't recruit or we couldn't recruit? I mean, dozens, right? And, and, and what is, what did that mean? What was it? You physically could not take new members. That was the case on some campuses, or was it the university wasn't going to post events for you on their website? Like they usually do, because those are two very different versions of we can't recruit and require two very different responses. So I think that creativity and, and saying, Hey, this isn't going to go the way it's always gone, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to push and we're going to find things that do work. That is what's going to stick with me from a lot of those chapters and a lot of the volunteers too. the volunteers played a huge role in the success of a lot of our groups because they were the ones that were pushing and driving our chapters to continue to operate even through all of this, this chaos. So I'm looking forward to seeing how those groups can build on that momentum and continue that through this summer and through next fall, because now they're, they're at an advantage. They just took 45, 50 men when a lot of other chapters on their campus probably took 10. And now you have manpower to go out and recruit even more to, to have better social events, to have better brotherhood events, to, to raise more money, to be more active on campus, to go out and join different clubs. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. I think it's important to mention too how stabilizing of a force the Grand Council was. You know, when, when they were elected almost two years ago, the, neither the membership nor those those men knew they were signing up to to lead the fraternity in the middle of a pandemic. And so there's a direct correlation of the steady hand and support that they have shown to, to us on the professional staff, to our volunteers, to our, our groups during this time. And I, I think it's important as well to, to give them a shout out because those men, while balancing their own challenges personally and professionally, also have made time to be supportive. Yeah, they're volunteers. I mean, that's they're not paid. They're not compensated for their work. They volunteer in the same way that a lot of our chapter advisors and BOA chairs and, and GPAs volunteer. So you're you're absolutely right because they all right. This is our this is Teak is our lives. It's our full-time job. We were fortunately paid throughout the pandemic to continue to try and find creative solutions and creative ways to bring the fraternity through COVID. A lot of the guys, guys in the Grand Council were doing it in their spare time, whatever spare time they had. Plus, they were being paid from their own organizations, their own companies for, for which they work to figure out how to get through COVID with them as well. So it's a great point and something to uh, something to keep in mind, I think, about all of our volunteers. They're all working full-time jobs. They all, um, you know, some of them probably lost their jobs when COVID hit and, and had to bounce back and rebound. And, and so a lot of credit deserved there across the board. All right. Have a couple of uh, guests coming up here. One is a, a fan favorite. Everyone knows and loves him. And that is Zachary Scott. Coming to us from Tampa, Florida. As always. Is, uh, are we, are we in the unbearable summer heat yet down there? Is it, is it miserable? I don't know that it's too miserable. I don't know. I was out at the beach yesterday uh, and got a little, a little, little burn going, um, which will tan nicely, I'm sure, in a couple of days. But um, yeah, it's been like the, 
high 80s, low 90s, mid 90s. Um, so humidity hasn't been too bad, although it's going to start raining like pretty much every day this week. So humidity is about to crank it up in the overdrive. Do you want to post a, a picture maybe of your uh, your burn slash tan so everyone can see since they don't don't have the benefit of video? I, I might have to. Um, yeah, uh, maybe I can can put in the Dropbox for for Garrett to include. Well, be be careful out there. Lather up with that uh, that SPF fifty. You don't want to. Oh, see, SPF thirty is the way I go. Well, I got to get browned. I under I understand. Some of us are a little pastier. So, all right. Well, uh, we uh, we've been spending a lot of time reflecting back on the last fiscal year since it is officially new fiscal year in teak terms. I'm talking a little bit about looking forward and and what we're planning on doing. I know we have talked a lot with you about the summer and how we can use the summer to build a well lay down a base tan if you will um to uh to to prepare for the fall but one thing i I don't think we've dug too far into is on the volunteer side i know you're doing some work right now with with frater christopher niles um on how we can do some different train the trainer type pieces get our volunteers mindsets in a place where they're looking at growing and and promoting growth throughout the summer what are if I was a chapter advisor, a BOA chair at a group that was looking to, to really grow and, and push the recruitment, what would you tell me? Like, how can I be an influence and make an impact on the groups that I advise in that realm right now, instead of waiting until August, September to start thinking about Rush? Yeah, I think a big one is getting all the information that normally I think people assume, oh, I need to go to the Preetness or I need to go to whomever on exec to get the information going directly to your fraternity sorority life advisor for the campus, getting all that, all those ducks in a row, because um, I I think you can do both. I think that would be very wise, just so you never know who's on vacation now that it's summer break and, um, and whatnot. But being proactive about getting that information, I think is a really big piece. So you can begin to plan out where those steps should be taken. Um, and then once you have an idea of, okay, this is the timeline, here's where I think, right, we need to be starting because recruitment should have started a month and a half ago, really. I mean, you should have been planning that stuff out months ago, um, to be completely honest, because most of the schools make their decisions, the IFCs, all that make their decisions mid-spring. Um, so once you have an idea of when recruitment is backtracking, right, of where are we going to, right, send out all of our DMs, all of our emails, our, all this stuff. Have we, did in January, December, did we sign up to help with move-in or orientation teams? Because orientation is going to start in the next few weeks. Move-in will be around, I mean, it's right around the corner with July and August and seeing all of these little, little touch points, right? All the things that we can do to be pipelining names. What have we done already? What are we going to do over the next couple of weeks? And by the start of July, right? We want to be in a position where we have meetings set up with people, right? If we're a larger campus that typically does summer recruitment, that we've got cookouts and other things in various cities, not even just in the, the town of where our university is set up. If we're a smaller campus, who are the guys that we've reached out to that are in the same hometown as us? We can go grab lunch with them. Um, we can go do these person-to-person interactions that people have been denied for the last 15, 16 months. Getting those things set up. The guy who's across the country, are we setting up Zooms to be able to, to reach out to them, right? And these are things that every recruitment chairman and every preetness and, and so on and so forth should be doing. But as a chapter advisor, or board chair, if you're looking to really get involved and get to that next level, those are the things that you have to be prepared, right? To ask the guys, what are we doing? This is what I know we need to be doing. Have we got this stuff already taken care of? If not, what's our plan over the next week to get that, that set up? 
Um, there's no such thing as, um, as being overprepared when it comes to rush. It's one of those things of the groups that are most successful in Teak Nation don't just happen into it, right? They don't just stumble around and like, oh, we just wandered into 35 to 50 candidates. No, it's hard work, perseverance, and learning to accept the thousand no's or hundreds of no's that you're going to get take those punches and move on to the next one. So for an advisor, how can we get in that mindset of what have we got plans? What do we need to continue to plan? And where can we ask for assistance from either headquarters, other volunteers, other chapters um, and, and groups? That's that's where I, I really see it. Zach, we internally right now, we're having a lot of discussions about being reflective. And, and Al kicked it off there in his first question. I'm curious, when when we discuss our groups, how important is it that they reflect upon the last 12 months? What things they found success in, what areas they didn't, you know, too many times in life, we just keep, keep restarting the meter and go into the next, putting out the next fire or attacking the next goal and don't spend enough time in reflection. Can you talk about how critical it is for our groups to reflect upon either they didn't hit their goal or they crushed it either way to spend that time in reflection and analyzation? Yeah, I think when you're when you're analyzing the things that went right, um, making sure to write down what it was that went right. Like, what are the things, the the tasks that you put in place to ensure that you hit your goals? Um, what did you did you do any recalibration in the middle of your recruitment or the middle of your semester in order to like continue to push your goal? Maybe for the first couple of weeks of recruitment, you fell short by five, so you kept recruiting through the rest of the semester. Like, those are things that you need to be aware of um, to continue to do right, even when you hit your goal continue to push through to grab that extra one, two, five candidates. Um, and for the groups that fell short or feel like they fell short throughout the year, whatever goal it may be, write again, write down those things, voice those concerns and figure out, okay, this is what went wrong. How do we fix that? How do I, is, is it planning? Most likely part of, part of the problem, but um, maybe it's execution, right? Maybe it's, oh, we, we don't know how to talk to, to people when we actually interact with them in person because we haven't talked to them in six, 16 months um, in person. So maybe that's a conversation of, hey, hit up your, your growth uh, your, your growth guy. Uh, maybe that's hit up your, your regional director, whatever it may be, get somebody on the phone, your uh, chapter advisor to walk through, how do I build relationships? It's been 16 months and I've been able to build a human to human relationship. Those are the things that I think you can really start to lean in on our staff and our volunteer base. You've, I think you, you're absolutely right. You have to take the time to kind of evaluate where things were, what went right. How do you continue to, to put that into a method, right? Make that part of your process. And for the things that went wrong or didn't really pan out the way you wanted, what can we recalibrate? What can we can, what adjustments can we make? So that way we don't fall into that same pit because right. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, accepting, expecting a different result. If you continue to do the things that aren't working, how are you, I mean, how are you going to become successful? You can't just continue to do the wrong thing over and over. And then 2021 is finally the year it's going to change. It doesn't work that way. Um, I think if you're doing the right things, continue to do them until they work, that's different. But continue to do the wrong things is just going to make things worse. That's going to lead to your group um, ending up closed because you, you're not bringing anybody in. Yeah, that persistence, I think, is key. Um, the self-awareness, the ability to, to look in the mirror and say, I did screw up or this didn't go well or, or we thought this was going to go great and it didn't. What else can we do? But also to your point about doing things the right way and, and being persistent, you know, that's why that self-evaluation is so important because you don't look at any any progress that's been made or any positive moves, positive momentums, uh, their positive momentum, it, it's just going to 
you're, you're, you're going to have no idea. There's not going to be a checkpoint there. So I think you're, you're spot on there. Yeah. I mean, nobody gets great because they continue to do the same things over and over, right? They find ways to improve if they're, they're winning. Um, so that way they can win more. And the people who are losing, if they're an actual winner, right, they're finding ways to do whatever it takes to, to turn the ship around and, and do what they know they're meant to do. We love talking about winners and losers here. It's a, it's a, it's a favorite of the Teak Nation podcast. So uh, we appreciate the perspective, as always, the kind words. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with your ongoing sunburn slash suntan. Zach showing us his arms now. Kind of hard to see on Zoom, but I just trust you that it's there. Indeed. They're big arms now. They're really big arms, but you can't can't really see the red. Well, so you're (laughs) tan and you're ripped. Yes, always, always. This uh, this summer's turning up all Zach. Maybe we can uh, can pull out some some workout regimens for the next podcast. I'll write it down. I'll write it down and we'll come back to it. Take it under advisement. All right. All right, Zach. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Zach. Adios. Thank you to Zach Scott, as always. Good friend of the program. We're moving now to a special guest. This is actually our first Grand Council member on season two of the Teak Nation podcast. And it ties in directly with Pride Month, which is upcoming in June, because our guest today is Grand Grand Mateus Ryan Vessio, who is the chairman of the DEI committee. And we're very excited to bring him in now to talk about a lot of the great things the committee is doing and how they have made an impact on the fraternity in the last year. It is Frater Ryan Vessio, good friend of mine, good friend of Donnie's. He is our Grand Grammateus, been on the Grand Council now for, I believe, uh, four years in total, spent four years as the Judiciary Chairman before that. Frater Vessio is an attorney in the Central Florida area, and he is also the Chairman of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, which is one of the big reasons we wanted to bring him in today. Frater Vessio, you look well. How are you feeling? How are things in Florida? Things in Florida are hot and sunny, and it's good to be back with you guys. It's great to have you. I'll, 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 I'll mention that a few more times, but it is great to have you. Well, the pleasure the pleasure is all mine, Al, especially with you. I appreciate that. We could we go back and forth for a while, but we'll just uh, we'll just jump right into the uh, the line of questioning here, as I believe you attorneys would would say. Um, we mentioned before you came on here, we are, we're headed into Pride Month, which is something that we are very, um, very passionate about as a fraternity. And, and it ties in with, I know what the DEI committee is doing. It's not all that the DEI committee is doing. I want to go back really about a year to when there was a lot of civil unrest in America. Um, at that point, there were a lot of different organizations out there that were, were choosing how they wanted to handle the DEI conversation in their own sphere, in their own corner. With Teak, we chose to move some initiatives forward and, and begin to look at how we wanted to address DEI within the fraternity. And that was the, the genesis of the committee. You stepped up and said, I want to be the guy that, that leads this committee as a grand council member, as somebody who's passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why did you make that decision with everything else you have going on in your life, personally, professionally, with Teak? What was it about this opportunity that stood out to you that caused you to, to take over or to take on this committee as chair? Well, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about ensuring that we do all possible to give our collegiate members the greatest experience that we can and to build lifelong connections for our alumni. 
And as, as all the events of last June started to play out and the conversations that were occurring, both within you know, chapter houses and social media networks and, and those of us in the leadership of the organization, the time had come for us to have a real comprehensive uh, focus and effort on looking at, um, do we live to our principles of being non-exclusionary? And do we have an organization that fosters um, the inclusion of all members um, in meaningful conversations? And with that, you know, I think the most important thing that we can do as leaders of the organization is to grow the fraternity in the development of our culture to ensure that our principles are being put into practice. And um, because of that, when the Venerable Grand Preetness saw the need for us to have a committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, I was honored when he asked me to chair it. Ryan, what has been the most eye-opening aspect of this experience in chairing this committee for the last year I think most of our members don't fully appreciate the depth and breadth of the folks who are on the committee, that their experiences, both personal and professional, just the amount of talent that you get to work with in, in being the face of, of, this, of this committee. You know, it was really eye-opening because when we put out the call for applicate for the committee, we received over 140 responses to sit on this committee. And because of the overwhelming responses, not only in the number, but the quality of people uh, that applied, we really expanded the committee. So we, we have a main committee and three subcommittees. And over the past nine months, we've held over 35 DEI committee meetings. Uh, we hold four a month. And what's really stood out to me is the depth of the talent that we have in diversity and inclusion. We have frauders that have worked in this field for decades. A lot of them are members of the committee, and they are people that we never knew existed within the Teak family. And it's been really impressive and inspiring to see um, people working for large international corporations being the head of diversity and inclusion sitting on our committee, but also talking with uh, collegiate members that are on our committee that are telling us their experiences today. And it's been, you know, the pool of, of talent that we have, I think, is, is unmatched to any other organization trying to tackle issues of diversity and inclusion. And it's always um, very eye-opening, uh, every committee meeting that we have. Yeah, I want to echo that. I, I remember being pleasantly surprised, as I think you were, by how not, not just how many applications we got for the committee, but how many people applied who were not lifelong volunteers of the fraternity or leadership academy graduates or two-term pre-tni individuals who saw this as an opportunity to get back in and make a difference in their fraternity where maybe they hadn't been connected for a decade or more and, and i just i thought that was really unique and really special and it sounds like has allowed the committee to thrive what what are some points specific points of pride you take in in the work that the committee's done are there are there a couple things the couple initiatives or decisions that have been made that you're most proud of or or are there a few more things that that you just you look back on and think wow we really made a difference there well i think your your point's really well taken alex that we brought people onto this committee that didn't have a long engagement with the organization. So one of the things that we had to do is we had to sort of teach them how we do things, how we govern, how we set policy. And, you know, there were, there were things that just jumped up um, just quickly and organically. Things like um, awareness and recognition of we have lots of members from lots of backgrounds. We have lots of members who 
speak uh, a lot of different languages, um, but we don't have a TEAT guide in Spanish, or we don't have a Spanish or Creole version of the website for um, those fraudsters to be able to, to utilize. I mean, just some really basic things. Um, the committee took a quick review of our um, web materials and noticed our, is the diversity that our organization actually have reflected in the posts that we make, the, the fraudsters that we have. Um, you know, another thing that really has stood out to me was everybody on the committee is proud of the fact that we've never had an exclusionary clause. And we, we tell that to potential new members. We, 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 you know, we focus on that through the candidate process of those candidates, you know, moving to, to, to initiation. But then the question was asked, although we don't, we've never had an exclusionary clause, do we have an inclusion clause? Do we have a statement on um, diversity? Do we have a statement on equity and inclusion so that we can all be reminded and grounded in those principles? And that's something that the committee is working very hard on now and um, has had a lot of, you know, vigorous discussion. You know, I think that what goes along with that is there's, there's multiple aspects of inclusion when we talk about our fraternity. You know, definitely talking about are we inclusive of, of the people that we recruit, the people that we initiate, but there's a whole nother recognition the committee has really focused on, which is, are we inclusive on our campuses and in our communities? Are we doing things that demonstrate that TEAK is an organization, TEAK on our local campuses? Are we truly inclusive of the, the larger community? And, and how can we focus on that? Um, I, I think has been, you know, something that's been really eye-opening. And a lot of that has been from the experience of our members that aren't longtime volunteers, um, or they are collegiate members who weren't a greatness of their chapter. Um, and what we have found is that a lot of our collegiate members that are parts of the uh, members of the committee came to this committee because they found like they or, you know, felt as if they had a voice. And, and it's been really, it's been really inspiring to see those individuals step up. Ryan, I'm interested in, in your thoughts around the conversation of DEI to start with. You know, the last year, the, one of the pieces that I've heard the most position I sit in is, why are we talking about this? To your point, right, we've had a, we've had a clause, non-discriminatory clause since, since our founding. And what I, have, what I have tried to share as someone who is myself religious is, Yes, I have all these beliefs, right? But I still go to church each Sunday because I want to continue to celebrate those beliefs. And much in that same vein, having these conversations about diversity, it is literally just celebrating who we are and what we are, not that we are uh, putting on a red jersey or a blue jersey and being political, or that we're trying to become a, an action committee or an advocacy group because that's not what we're trying to do. Can you speak to that a little bit, even you know, personally, what the conversations you have had with members, and I know you've had some on social media, but also conversations that the group is having and, and the perceptions of the committee from the outside and from the inside? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. And I, I think there's a couple aspects of it. So um, one of the things that, that especially our, our subcommittee on history, traditions and education looked at was what is our history? What did what have we done these past hundred and almost twenty years uh, to both uh, enhance our diversity and inclusion in times where we've maybe fallen a little bit short? And you know we have seen that there have been certain local traditions of the organization that weren't inclusive. 
um, or there were certain things that we celebrated and, and focused on a larger scale that in retrospect today would not demonstrate that we're an inclusive organization that respects the honest convictions of all of our members as we're called to do um, in our Declaration of Principles. You know, another thing that really, you know, responds, you know, in, in, in my head and my heart to your, to your question is the concept of we are, as a membership, very different. We have uh, chapters on very conservative campuses, very more progressive liberal campuses. And, you know, our, 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 our collegiate members in California have a very different experience than our collegiate members in Alabama or Mississippi or South Carolina, where I initiated. And, you know, a lot of the conversations we've been having recently around diversity and inclusion are, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that, regardless of what color jersey you're wearing, are the things that we can all stand behind and support as being right or being wrong? wrong. Um, you know, the, the committee has recently talked about this and the aspect of things such as intimate partner violence. Um, you know, we're all very proud of what Teak did with the uh, um, with our, our push on Title IX and, and focusing on sexual assault as an organization and, and supporting policies um, uh, leading to more victims' rights. But um, that to us is a topic that we can all get around. And what I'm excited about is the continuing conversations of what can we embrace as a core of a TEAK that allows us the stability and the safety to have conversations on more controversial topics, to, you know, which to me is at the essence of aiding our men in their mental, moral, and social development. I'd I like for you to talk a little bit about the intersection or the crossover of your professional life and these DEI initiatives. I know just talking to you throughout the years, one of the one of the things in, in your career as an attorney that you're passionate about is giving that voice to people who might not have one or who are less fortunate or, or who are, you know, society cast aside in some cases and, and being able to fight for them. Does that play a role in, in your passion for DEI as well? Do you think that some of those, some of those principles that you've established professionally have carried into this TEAK realm and how you view the fraternity and, and how you view TEAK moving forward? Yeah, it really does really in two fundamental aspects. So for about 14 years, I worked as a criminal prosecutor here in Florida, and, and the last decade of that work focused in homicide and death penalty prosecution. And I saw it from two sides, candidly. Um, I saw it from victims in the, in the families of those who had been, you know, uh, had their lives taken away from them, of their need for a voice and their need for what they believe was appropriate justice. But on the other side of that, courtroom was also um, the people that I watched going through the criminal justice system and um, the fact that the criminal justice system didn't always treat those accused of crimes fairly and that there were real issues with social justice and criminal justice. And, you know, when, when, when everything happened in, in June of 2020, uh, that's what a lot of our members were speaking to was the um, either their examples of or their beliefs that there was um, a lack of, of proper justice, depending upon where you lived or who your parents were or your background. Um, and, and to me, it really drives my passion in wanting to ensure that all of our members have a voice and all of our members have the right to be heard and all of their voices have the right to be respected. And that to me is a, you know, I deal with this every day as an attorney is everybody has the right to be heard. Now, we don't have to agree with what everybody says, 
but I, I see it every single day where people can't agree on basic things. And we owe it to each other as Teeks to be respectful um, to each other. And uh, you know, one of the long-term goals that I hope with our DEI initiatives is to be able to bring a better foundation for us to have difficult conversations. Ryan, do you have any stories you can share from some of the members of the committee? You don't have to specifically share their name, but I think that for some critics of the DEI committee, a lot of it comes from not even understanding who these people are and the kind of conversations they're having. And for someone who's been lucky enough to, to peer into a couple of meetings, to hear some of them tell their stories of what the fraternity has done for them and the environment it created. You know, you, it's easy from the outside to think this is just a bunch of folks who came together to talk about how horrible the fraternity is, right? And, and all the ways that they've been aggrieved when what I have seen is, is much of the opposite in terms of it has done so much for them. And because of that, they want to see it go to the next level. They want to make sure that uh, more folks have the opportunity to have some of the experiences that they've had. Yeah, I mean, we have heard stories that are across the spectrum. Uh, we've heard stories of members to where based upon um, the color of their skin or um, their language that they were treated very unfairly by their uh, fellow collegiate members and that their motivating factor to stay in the fraternity was because when they read our principles, they believed that we were better than what was actually being demonstrated. And that um, really inspired them. Um, you know, one of our one of our main committee members who's been a, a volunteer of the organization really shares a very, um, you know, just just blunt story about being called names, being told things that he was lesser than than other members of his chapter just because of his appearance and that has motivated his long term engagement in the organization. Um, you know, we've also heard stories of, of, of a lot of the committee members who have said I joined Teak because I saw diversity in Teak, and that diversity allowed me the space and the opportunity to grow as a leader, to be um, confident um, in the relationships that I have, to be confident in the things that I want to do, to use Teak as really a, a learning lab to um, do things that they otherwise would not have access to. Um, what we hear and have heard a lot in the committee is talking about the impact of members when they go to large programming. Um, their first experience at Conclave where they see lots of Spanish people, you know, lots of African-American members, and how that has really built a sense of community um, and engagement, I think has been, you know, really um, a great story and testament to what we do as an organization to be diverse and how diverse we really are. We've shared a little bit about some of the upcoming plans for the committee, the, the inclusionary piece, the inclusionary clause, which I think is fantastic and, and excited to see where that goes. What else is on the docket, either in the short term, in terms of maybe some smaller projects that the committee or the subcommittees are working on, and then long term, in terms of your vision and where this is headed in the next three, four, five, ten years even, and how you want to see the, the ongoing work of the committee develop? Well, you know, one of the first things that came up is the recognition that we don't really know who our members are. Um, the organization has only started to collect just basic demographic data in the last four years, five years. Um, but, you know, if we look at who are our collegiate members today, right now, we have a hard time telling what our backgrounds are. 
the languages we speak, whether or not we are, you know, somebody like me that was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, so one of the things that the committee is really uh, focusing on in the short term is developing a way to where we can create an engagement survey for our members um, that will um, ask our members to tell us about themselves and tell us their story. You know, I think that that's been one thing that we have recognized on the committee is we have unbelievable men with amazing backgrounds that have had some some great life experiences of, of both difficulty and success, and that we, we as a committee want to do a better job of learning who our members are so we can tell their stories. You know, we talk about education a lot. And, um, you know, having sat on the Grand Council's Risk Management Committee for nine years now, um, we talked about this when we started e-compliance a few years ago of how can we create education that means something and is not just click a box, answer three questions, and now you can say that you're done. Um, the committee really wants to focus on, the, uh, on this education piece to talk about how can we have impacting meaningful education. And a lot of that is through awareness. I think a lot of that is, you know, we started to see the results of that this year with the DEI training for our uh, collegiate officers. Um, and you know, I think the biggest focus of that, that that we have seen that's been very beneficial is just making us more consciously aware of what our actions are. Um, and that's, and that's you know, the education piece that the committees have talked about. You know, I think another big question that's been asked, I know, by the committee members and those um, out in Peak Nation that have been following our diversity and inclusion efforts over the last year is how can we continue to use the DEI committee in a way to be a resource? Um, not only just for the council, but for, uh, you know, for Frater Aldrich and, and his staff, and how can we support our members? Um, and a lot of that has been through us asking members, what do you need help on? Are there, are there problems that you're facing? Um, you know, for, for me, and sort of given my background and profession, I always want to know the data. I always want to know the information. Um, it, you know, at times we've asked members to help share their stories. Um, that's something that I would encourage everybody listening to this podcast and everybody in their um, either alumni associations or their collegiate chapters to do is tell us their story. If there's something positive uh, about diversity and inclusion or something that maybe hasn't met um, our principles um, to contact us, they can do it through social media. Uh, my information is on the, the Teak website. You can contact me directly. Um, and, and sort of share those stories. So we, we still want to learn more about us and do a, a better job of, of sharing the awareness of who really is within the Teak family. As we're starting a, a new year here, Ryan, I'm curious, what are your reflections of the past year? What did you learn about the fraternity over, over the past year, being a member of the Grand Council, DEI committee, someone who's involved, even just as a general alumnus uh, in the Orlando area and communicating with a lot of folks there in Central Florida. What'd you learn about the fraternity in the last 12 months? Well, I, I, I have learned that we are a diverse organization that, that tries to be inclusive. And I think at times, candidly, we've missed the mark and we've not been as conscious of our intentions and as conscious of what our discussions um, can lead to in our members. Uh, I will say, though, that one thing that has really stood out to me is that we have some groups in some areas of the country. We are, we are so diverse, and our, our membership really does reflect the campus, and it reflects the community. But one thing that stood out in, to me is that 
oftentimes when we've succeeded in our diversity and inclusion efforts, it's been um, not deliberate. So, uh, you know, a number of the collegiate members of our committees have shared things such as when I joined my committee or my, my, my chapter, I was the only Spanish guy that joined my chapter. So the next time the rush came out, what did I do? I went and found other Spanish people to join. And over two, three, four recruitment cycles, now we've got a quarter of the, cha of the, of the chapter who's Spanish. Um, you know, where I think that our local groups have been focusing on diversity, um, but those of us um, either on the council or those of us involved in sort of the, the, the national organization aren't fully aware of all this. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the other thing that's really stood out to me is that um, I think that our chapters and our, and our members underappreciate what we want to do to help. And I think a lot of times uh, there is this notation and the stigma, and Donna, you and I talked about this for almost a decade now, of not wanting to involve nationals, not wanting to talk about the staff guys. Nationals is doing this and nationals is doing that. I mean, the reality of it is, is all of us are, are giving of our time um, or our profession with our professional staff to make the college experience much better. And we just want to help. And if there are issues or times to where there are things going on that aren't inclusive or diverse, uh, that, that, that don't show who we really are, we need to know about those things so we can support chapters and, and, and alumni associations. You know, the other thing that's really stood out to me is that um, we talk about alumni engagement a lot. And I think that um, some of the reasons that our alumni have not been as engaged as they could have been has been because these things have happened in local chapters that have really soured their experience. And a lot of those, those incidents have occurred from situations or events that did not uh, reflect inclusivity. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, my remaining time on the Grand Council, you know, I, is something that I feel very passionate about is that every, every man who accepts our bond and initiates into our organization has the same voice. And if, um, if, if there are additional things that we can do to embrace that, which I think there are, um, we want to continue to still fight those principles. Ryan, we appreciate the perspective, the input. I think the, the insight into what the committee is working on has been particularly eye-opening, not just for me, but hopefully for our listeners um, and, and any listeners out there who may have heard of the DEI committee but didn't know exactly what was going on. Any final thoughts, messages, ideas you want to leave out there for Teak before we wrap up here? That um, I just hope that we can all continue to be more conscious of our actions and, and be aware that what we say and, and what we do does reflect on all of our members. And if there are um, instances where we are doing well in diversity and inclusion, to please share that with us, share that with the staff, share that with myself, share it with the committee. And if unfortunately, um, you have had a situation to where um, our practices have not followed our principles, um, make us aware of that. Uh, we all want to work together um, to truly be a more diverse and inclusive organization. And I, I appreciate everyone on our committees, all 63 committee members and all the time they've given and um, look forward to, to more information and new things coming from the committee in the fall um, in this upcoming year coming into Concord. All right, my friend. Well, we appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, you know where to find me. I appreciate it as always. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.
Thank you, Ryan. Always a great time. Hope to have him back sometime soon. And as is tradition, that'll be about it for us here today on the Teak Nation podcast. I do have one special addition to the end of the program. If you'll recall a few weeks ago, Donnie, I proposed a fantasy football trade offer. You rejected it. I have another one. I've been let's make this looking hard. I've used this, I've used this long weekend to to really evaluate my roster and where it is and where the other rosters in the league are. All right, here we go. So coming to me, threat level midnight from you, Don Juan's footballers would be running back San Diego Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, Austin Eckler. Coming to you, Don Juan's footballers, from me, threat level midnight, would be running back Philadelphia Eagles, Miles Sanders, and wide receiver, New York Giants, Kenny Galladay. Miles Sanders, Kenny Galladay for Austin Eckler. It's not an instant no. I, it's a pretty good proposal. It's For you, it's one of your top two. I don't, I don't offer you bad trades. You just – think they're bad you think i'm trying to pull the wool over your eyes that's, that's right happens. that's right I'm not. that's right never never do a trade with someone who lives on fantasy football well, general rule life rule that's not my fault that doesn't mean my trade offers are bad just means that right i gotta value players the way that i, 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 I can't i can't sit around all day you know orchestrating trades well i don't sit around all day and do it just like half the day understood i got others i gotta sleep I will consider it. We'll come back right. to the audience. We'll, we'll leave them in suspense here. That's, a, that's called week. a cliffhanger. That's a cliffhanger. It's a teaser. You got to teaser. tune in next week. Start doing that more often. And we get more than 45 downloads. Thank you, everybody. Would you quit, would you quit insulting the audience? Thank you, everyone who tuned in. I'm not in. insulting we the audience. Hope, I'm insulting we hope us. you had a great Memorial Day weekend. We're grateful for everyone who has served. And also, yes, go grab a couple friends. Tell them about the podcast. Talk about the interviews. Some of the folks that we've had in the last few weeks, we're really proud of the interviews that we've had, the information that's come across. I give Alex a lot of credit. He's still working connections to bring in more and more folks that we can interview. If, if you know someone who you think we should interview for the podcast, please pass that across. If you think you should be interviewed for the podcast. Ooh, please, that's a good one. Yeah, please pass that across. We will consider it. But very, very grateful for our listeners, and we want to keep growing this thing. So appreciate your, your patriotism. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I would have liked to have seen some more listens on the Andrew Hughes episode. The guy literally was, was halfway up Mount Everest when we talked to him. So if you know anyone who might be interested by that, shout it out, get it in front of them. I've been trying to track Andrew. I did it last night, was unsuccessful in finding out exactly where he was, but looks like he's still out there amongst the mountains. So we wish him the best of luck. And yes, as Donnie said, we, we are grateful for those of you who listen and uh, certainly appreciate the time that you all give and invest in this program. With that being said, if you have not yet smashed the like button, this would be the time to do so. You know Smash that. It. Yeah. If you're, if you're a regular listener and you still haven't smashed the like button, what are you doing? Subscribe, like, all of that, you know, every app has its own version of subscribe, but uh, but you'll find it pretty easily if you go searching for it. So make sure you do that. Make sure that you are always amongst the first to know when a new episode of the Teak Nation podcast is made available to Teak Nation. Thank you all. Hopefully you had a great Memorial Day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.